0: Thank you, Cheryl. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. This morning, I'm going to continue our captured series. We are taking captive of the thoughts and making them obedient to the truth. And last week, uh, we talked about making comparison, taking captive our thoughts of comparison. And really, if you were here last week, you noticed a lot of it was my rant of my disgust for social media. So thank you last week for putting up with that and all of the, the times I talked about the negative aspects of social media. But I don't think it is all bad. I certainly believe that there is a lot of good that can be done with it. So I was not uh, painting you as, as, as social media is the mark of the beast. But you should consider um, the, the reality of all the comparisons that take place. And now, uh, for those that participate in that on a regular basis, but I want to remind you that this taking capture, uh, taking captive our thoughts is a spiritual thing. It is a spiritual initiative that you as a man or a woman of God are going to have to decide that this, this pattern that I am thinking in is destructive to me and it needs to stop. And so today, I'm going to talk about uh, an, an emotion that's, that's even harder, a thought pattern that's even harder to take captive, uh, which is simply anger. Today, I'm going to talk about anger. And so what if I just said and, and cut to the chase and just said, you need to stop being angry, and now we're going to take communion, all right? The deacons are going to come forward, all right? I don't know how you would feel about that, but... But you know that this is going to be a very hard uh, feeling to let go of because we actually, whether we will admit it or not, we actually really like it. We like to hang on to it for a little longer than we should. And I was, this was really messing with my head uh, this week as I was studying and coming across some things. I'm going to read an article to you in a little bit. And so I was thinking about how I got this idea, how I was formed before I met Christ And I got the idea that a certain level of anger works because that's a big part of the problem. Like I said, whether we're ready to admit it or not, we all feel as if we're entitled to this stuff. We're entitled to carry this around for a while. It's a little bit good for us. So I was thinking about how I personally, and I could come up with one story of how I, uh, that kind of helped shape me uh, a a way that I grew up as a kid. Okay. I don't, please don't understand the story I'm going to tell is not something I encourage. It's just what happened to me as a kid and how I I began to have these kind of twisted thoughts about anger. But when I was a kid, um, we used to get in these things called fistfights on on semi not regular basis but I probably gotten about 10 fist fights when I was a kid and three of them were with the same guy and and this guy if I would see him today I can't say we're close friends but I would consider him an acquaintance that I wish him well I am in a fantasy football league with him we still kind of like each other you know there's there's no uh, harm harm done in any way but But we used to have these kind of experiences. Now, the reason I say this, because there's this one story that sticks in my mind that that I'll never forget. And I think I may have told it here a long time ago. But I had a friend that uh, uh, he really did not like this guy in school. And uh, let's just say the guy he didn't like, his name was John, okay? And so he said, he would say, John, I want to fight you. Um, But will you ask your mom's permission if you can get off the bus stop earlier so you can meet me in the alley Um, at 3.30. John agreed. (laughs) He agreed to that. So he got off the bus and we met John and we had a light conversation with him. And we went over to this place and him and my buddy, they got in a fist fight and John clearly won the battle. Okay. So my friend was so upset about that. And he was just kind of embarrassed that he challenged him again. And he asked John if he could ask his mom to get off the bus and meet him again in the alley at 3.30 so they could go at it again. And my friend Joe, well I shouldn't have said his name if he's ever listening on this podcast, he lost again to John. And so then a third time he asked John, he said, I got to fight him one more time. He asked John to get off the bus and meet him in this alley, get off the bus at 3.30. And by that time, we're all starting to get to know John a little better. And we kind of like John. We're on our way to the fight scene again, and we're like friends. We're interacting with each other. It's like, man, that's good. You know, I, I hope I can't wait till basketball season or whatever. We're talking about what we're going to do together in the future. And I don't know what happened this third time around, but I think John backed off enough to, to let my friend Joe uh, realize that he could, he could get a little bit more out of him and got the best of him and feel like he'd actually done something. So Joe felt like he had served his purpose. And the third time around, he got enough of John that he felt satisfied. They didn't have to ask him to get off the bus one more time and meet him in the back alley. And now, the reason I share that is because I had enough experiences like that as a kid to to have a sense that anger does get you somewhere. Now, come on. You have to admit you agree with me to an extent because you've experienced this before. You knew that at some point when you let somebody have it, they finally understood where you were coming from and how it really made you feel. And for me as a kid, that was part of our experience that we knew if we got mad enough at another guy, we went at each other. Actually, things would be fine and we could shake each other's hands and move on with life. But I want to present this to you. So there's two pros. There's a pro and there's a massive con to to this way of thinking that I believe carried over in even into my adulthood. And I think if you're honest, it's carried over into yours as well. The pro is that there were mutual boundaries that we understood of how far we would let our anger go. Whenever somebody wanted to say stop, we would stop. Well, there was boundaries that we had. And there's a pro that we had enough respect for each other that we weren't going to let someone kill someone. We weren't going to take these things too far. This was just a way of getting out of frustration. Sure, you could call that a pro, but there is a big con to that. And the con is anger's gratification. The con is the reality that we think that our anger is going to get us somewhere good. Now, Time Magazine wrote an article in 2016 that was similar to this, that, that, that I was reading this, and this is what made me think of this story. I'm not going to read all of this, but this was in June 1st of 2016 when our crazy last election was going on. And it talked about how angry uh, we have become. And I'm going to read pieces, pieces of this. It says, The easiest thing you'll do all day is get ticked off at something. Someone cuts ahead of you at traffic, uh, a guy cuts in front of you at, at the at the restaurant, and his his entire order is remade because he messed up the order and and it, it, realizing how easy it is and he says we 're all that way, and that 's the problem. Anger is the lazy person 's emotion it 's quick it 's binary it 's delicious, and more and more we 're gorging on it and He went on to talk about our current electric and what was going on in the different campaigns campaigns. And he says that we are dissatisfied or angry with the way that most, 80% of Americans were currently saying at that time that they are dissatisfied and angry with the way that the government is operating. Um, talk about the things that are happening. The people were rushing the stage. People were beating up protesters. That's what it's come to now in our country, that we beat up protesters who have views against us um, and they that whenever there were campaigns, the people that the, the local police had to embrace for violence, and that is just now in 2016 that became customary and that became common. And so when we recognize this is taking place in our country, we have to take a step back and ask ourselves some honest questions. But then they go on and, and, and talk about how there's e- there's even other cases of this. I'm going to read this word for word. He says, but there's also vegans who are outraged in this case over the owners of a chain plant-based restaurants who have, who have taken to eating meat on their own farm in their own time. There's dancers outraged about a clothing ad which a performer who portrays a dancer isn't really a dancer, making it the first ad in history that wasn't 100% honest. There's a gardener's outraged and a fisherman outraged and, yes, even knitters outraged. Something about, this was something about the U.S. Olympic Committee not letting them use the term knitters Olympics. But these people do have needles, and so in this case, maybe we should pay attention. Now, so anytime we put the word outraged in a media article, it gets everyone else's attention. Some of the causes of the anger are legitimate. The gardeners, for example, are are chafed over a lovingly tended community garden that was bulldozed by a developer. Still, there's something to be said for adjusting the rage to fit the provocation. And every offense, unjust, or insulting incident turns into a jolt of high fructose fury mainline straight at the brain's amigata. What's left then there's true, is a truly right and righteous reason to rise up in anger. And those important moments do occur. And this is what left me um, wrestling with some things. It said, this is what Martin Luther King said, if I wish to compose or write or pray, or preach well, I must be angry. Martin Luther King once said, and then he said, then all the blood in my veins is stirred, and my understanding is sharpened. So you can remember all of the good that Martin Luther King did for the civil rights movement, and that his own confession, he did did it in anger. He did it with a burden that was carrying him. So I've just You could say that I've just, for the the first few minutes in this introduction, I've contradicted myself. I've said that anger is wrong. I said that there's something wrong about carrying over anger's gratification and then talked about how crazy it's getting in our country today, but then ending with the point of how Martin Luther King said a lot of what he did was in anger. He had this drive that was moving him. So would it surprise you if I told you that Scripture actually speaks of both of these sides of anger. And so before we get into the Bible this morning, I want to begin uh, with a word of prayer. Lord, we need you this morning. We need your word more than we know. And I pray for everyone that has come into this room and even heard the introduction to this message and said, yeah, I know I'm angry about some things, but on it, I'm entitled to be angry to those things. May they know that in this moment, the living God is ready to speak to them if they are ready to listen. And powerful things can happen in a moment if we lay down ourselves and let the living God change us. So may your word be as the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. May you bring transformation this morning, Lord, through your spirit and your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin just and read you a few texts, um, and then we'll, we'll jump into this a little bit. So f- starting with Psalms 37.8. Psalms 37, eight, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Proverbs 15.18 says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Proverbs twenty two twenty four says, Do not even make friends with a hot-tempered, other words, short-fused person. Do not associate with one easily angered. And I'm going to read some of the piece of what Cheryl said in Ephesians 4, 26. I'm just going to read 4, 26 and 27. It says, In your anger, do not sin. Some versions, by the way, some versions of that verse say, um, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So, I hope you've heard this text before. In your anger, do not sin. I've shared with you before that emotions themselves are not either good or bad. They just are. The challenge is, again, what you will do with these emotions, what you will will do with them the moment that you feel them, how long you will hang on to them, how how will you process them, how will you determine uh, why you are angry, and how long will you carry it? Can you take captive these thoughts of wanting vengeance, of wanting to get your way and make it obedient to the truth, as as our series text tells us? Now, there's been this part in this passage that it's always been a contradiction and such. If you, if you hear it say, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. That is a good word, and I've counseled that before. But I've also realized in my own hypocrisy that I've shared the other thing. That, for instance, as a coach, as I've coached different sports before, I'll tell my parents, hey, if something happens at the end of a game and you are really angry with me and we've just lost after the game is probably not a good time for us to talk to each other, okay? But I am more than happy to talk with you and give me a call the next day, and we will talk about what you are upset about. And the, the point is that give me a chance, give them a chance to settle down a little bit, dial down our angle, anger, and understand why we are doing that. So by giving that advice as your pastor, would you say that I am a hypocrite and that, that I was wrong for doing that? Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, good. I can move on with life now. Now, the reason I share that is because in those moments, we are doing something. Me and that person, that that parent that's mad at me, we are doing something with our anger. We are not just letting it continue to spew and fester. We are actually diet-choosing to allow some time for it to dial down. Now, it is important that we do have that conversation. If we wake up the next morning and realize that this is important, we need to talk about this, then we do need to have that conversation. If we don't do something with it, it is that moment of letting it fester and letting it continue to brew um, in, in a way that can be destructive. Now, I want to get to our base text today. A base text that I want to focus on. In James 1, 19 through 23, here's what it says about anger. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, I I don't think I need to uh, I I don't think I need to exegete all these pieces here because it says quick to listen. You understand what that means? Slow down and listen. Why is someone so angry? Why is someone coming at you in a way that they are? What, what is it that they are saying? And why is what they are saying making you so angry? And quit being concerned about how it's offending you, but understand why they are saying what they're saying. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. And then he says in verse 20, Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires righteousness. We talked about that word in previous messages, being, being declared right before God, being right with God, living in a way that is just and true. And he says it's human anger that does not produce this righteousness that God desires. But then here's the part that I want to make sure we understand. Verse 21, when he talks about all this moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and then accept the word of God that is planted in you, which can save you. We The truth is that we are more likely to be or get angry when we are practicing impulsiveness. Let me say that again. We are a lot more likely to get angry when we are practicing impulsiveness. When we are just doing whatever our senses want. When we're hungry, when we're really hungry, we eat. Uh, when, we're, when, when, when we're sad, we cry. When we, when we have something to say, we say it. When we're incredibly impulsive. I was doing a uh, it's not important, but I was doing a quick study on Chinese culture this week and this weekend, and and I noticed that they're like the complete opposite of that. I think it's ridiculous that Americans can just say whatever they feel, whenever they feel it, at any moment in time, whether it does any good for anyone in any way. We have a tendency sometimes to be like this, to be incredibly impulsive. And so when he talks about this moral filth, this stuff when you're operating in the sensory in your senses, you are more likely and more given to anger. And also, if you're incredibly busy and your schedule is to, the, is, is to the max and you've always got a place to be from one point to the next, you have no time for anyone else. All you have time for then is yourself. And when somebody stands the way in you of what you want, it is very quick and easy for you to get angry. But Jesus, two different times in Scripture, well, more times than that if you consider all four Gospels, but most cases referring to the same story, Jesus got angry. I don't know if anybody remembers those stories. There's a time when a man has a withered hand and all the Pharisees are around him and they're ready to rebuke him because, he's, he's, because it's the Sabbath and it's like a trap that they've set for him. They're all watching and waiting to see is this, is this, new, this, this healer, this so-called prophet, the so-called son of God, is he going to heal a man on the Sabbath because that would be blasphemy against the law. And Jesus isn't looking at all the Pharisees around him. And he's not. he knows it's a Sabbath, but he's not checking his watch and feeling as if he's in some strange uh, dilemma. He's looking at a man with a withered hand and knowing that he has the power to do good and knowing that all of these people around him have chosen not to and have failed to see, <coughs> excuse me, the good that, that can happen in this moment. And Jesus, it says, Jesus looks around and he gets... Angry and his, and he heals the man jesus 's anger caused him to do good. You may know the other the other incident when Jesus got angry is when he went to the temple and the temple was supposed to be a place of reverence, it was supposed to be a place, a house of prayer, and in front of the temple were different people that were selling different temple items and, 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 allowing, and allowing commerce to take place in front of the temple. And there was a lot of, I don't want really to explain all of it, but there's a lot of strange bartering and just stuff that was happening that was never intended to be part of the temple life. And so Jesus just gets angry and starts turning over all the money changers and he starts all of this commerce that is taking place and he says that, that the, my house should be a house of prayer. The Lord's house should be a house of prayer. So we see in two instances there that Jesus got angry and in Jesus case, his anger healed and his anger caused him to act in obedience to the word of God. So how you've been talking about these two types of anger, this one that that is destructive, this one that we need to get rid of this stuff, these emotions that we need to get under control. But then there's this other little thing, Pastor Brody, you've been talking about, about Martin Luther King and this anger that Jesus has that can do some good. So where is the how can I discern which one is which? Well, the truth is, I think you already know which one is which. I think if you're ready to admit it, you know which, which kind of stuff you need to hang on to. But if you don't, the Bible has given us a litmus test in James one nineteen through 23. Or excuse me, James four one through 3. I just read you one nineteen through 23. Here's what he says. This is a great verse that I hope that you could memorize. All right. Here's what it says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. And you covet. Commandment number 10, compare. We talked about that one last week. You compare yourself to others, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Next verse you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Did I go any further? I think I did, didn't I? Well, that was it. So there is your simple litmus test. (laughs) So when someone cuts you off in traffic, can you in that moment pray, God, I pray, I pray your will be done by allowing them to fall off that bridge And I know there's only been one crocodile spotted in West Alexandria, but may there be 10 spotted in the water that he comes under and they would all be there to greet him. If you've ever, can you pray a prayer like that? No, because you know that God's not going to be with you. He's not a God of vengeance. He's not a God of judgment. And I know that is something that sounds really petty and really simple, but the truth is this is where we can find ourselves in understanding whether it's what I'm hanging on to, am I entitled to this? Can I keep this? Is this going to do some good? Can we take this to the Lord in prayer? Can we ask for vengeance upon someone else? Or does something else happen when we come to prayer and we realize the Lord's will? This is a simple litmus test that Scripture gives us. Is this about us or is this about something bigger than ourselves? I will never uh, forget this definition of anger that I've come across because it's always shaped my understanding of it. So I want to share this with you. This is an offer. This is i actually heard this from a pastor and I did see this defined as well. But a neutral definition of anger. We're talking about. You will see some definitions where anger is all bad, and I'm also giving to you through Scripture how Jesus was angry and how that he did some good in his anger. So here's a neutral definition for anger. Is your will being blocked? The moment that you want something and you realize you can't have it. Now, that emotion could be really small or that emotion could become really large. You wanted to turn left at the next light. Now you can't. What's going to happen in that moment? You wanted uh, to have that seat in church, but somebody else is sitting in it. Okay? Is it going to be that small or is it going to get bigger? And it says your will being blocked. And I've also heard that depression is actually uh, the longer stint of this. That depression can be um, what, what comes after anger when you realize that you are not going to get what you want and you haven't come to terms with that reality yet. That you've fallen into a place where you realize you're not going to get what you want and you haven't accepted that reality. So, anger can simply be your will being blocked. And James asks you to consider that thing that's making you angry can you take it to God? Is it all about you or is it about something bigger? Is this really about you being right in the face of your adversaries or is it, about a, is it about a cause that heals and makes things whole? Is your anger making you whole or is it producing drive or is it pulling you away from the most important things in life? And wouldn't you know when you have well, would have it, when a, when a pastor, when I have to preach on anger, I find myself angry this week. I find myself angry at things this week. And like, wow, and I have to teach on this. But so... All I got from my experience is to tell you this. What I notice in my anger is that it blinds me, that I don't see things how they are, and that this can become a massive distraction. Anger is very selfish. The anger that I had was very selfish, that is all about me and not about looking outside of myself and seeing the greater good. Now, I want to share as I begin to close here, a few things uh, with you about human anger. Now, I got these. There's a big, long list. I actually got these from Anger Management for Dummies. All right? These are, and these are common sense things that we don't, we all will agree with these things, but we don't want to tell them to ourselves in our moments of anger. But we do need to swallow these truths because, you know, if it's in the Anger Management for Dummies book, this is pretty, these are pretty simple concepts that we can all take home with us. All right, here's a few things that we need to understand. First of all, no one can make you angry without your participation. This is a choice. You are allowing yourself to go down that road. Go ahead, try. Try to take yourself out of that equation because you're the one that's going to choose to, you're the one that chooses to continue to fester. One of the articles I was reading, they were, they were talking about how that's one way we're very unique from animals. We do have control over our emotions and our impulses. We may not want to admit that we do, but we do have control over them. Animals don't have that. You know, a dog smells something, he's got to track it, he's got to follow it. My little dog sees a bus and he thinks it's a a massive threat to our family, so he loses his mind, okay? They just respond, they just react, they're impulsive. You were not created to be that way. You were not created to be impulsive. The next one, life isn't fair, and you know what? It never will be. Things we need to we remember about anger. Number two, life isn't fair and it never will be. See, we all have a sense when we talk about fairness, we have this sense of being entitled. And I personally, I'm easygoing enough that any of you in this room could convince me of your right to be angry. And I can organize and I can prepare my thoughts enough that I can convince you that I have the right to be angry. So how about we ask some better questions? The first one, if somebody actually does that with us, they tell us their story about what they're mad at. A good question to ask is, all right, do you feel better now? <laughs> do you feel better now that you've shared that with me? But here's the bigger question. Okay, now what are you going to do with that anger? What are you going to do with this? Is there a way that from this thing you're feeling that you can make someone else's life better? Or is this something that's just going to destroy you? And I agree, man, that guy shouldn't have did that. That was wrong. But now what are you going to do in this moment? Because young man, young woman, you are not entitled to this emotion. The next one. Energy is a limited resource. You may waste some of the best of your emotional energy all day on your anger. And you know, everybody in this room knows what it's like to have those days where we just lack empathy. We just don't care because we've, our time caring has been wasted. In some case, maybe it's been spent on something good, but it has been given over to something else. And so when there's real people that have real needs in front of us, we just don't have it. And that's because we can waste our energy on things that will destroy us. And finally, the last thing I want to share is that anger isn't the hill you want to die on because nobody will be there to make a memorial for you. So here's a good question. Is your anger pushing others away or is it uniting others to a cause that glorifies God? At this time, we're going to transition into communion, but I want to, I want to go ahead and ask our deacons to, to come forward. And I don't know if we talked about music, but Nick, if you can find a track and begin to play a track, I want to just say this in way of conclusion today. Maybe some of you here are angry and you've been angry for a while. This isn't just something that happened today. This has been something that's just always there below the surface and it just doesn't take much of a nudge to get that out of you. And I realize there are bigger things here and the top of that list is always forgiveness i don't I, I know that, that that in the past someone may have done something to you that is just unacceptable, and all of us could agree with you, but you will never be free until you choose to forgive them and I also noticed on bigger scales some of our anger is brought forth from our own securities, from knowing that we want to make mistakes and becoming this attitude of being defensive and then comparing ourselves and thinking that, yeah, we do this, but other people do it too. And so we've always just kind of jaded. And we're always just kind of wearing our emotions on our sleeves and being impulsive. So maybe you're in this room and you need to ask someone else for forgiveness. But when it really boils down to a church, most, most of the resolve to anger is simple self-control. Coming to terms with the things that we cannot control and the many more things in life that you will not be able to control. Realizing that this is going to be a problem today, it's going to be a challenge tomorrow. There are always going to be things you can't control. There are always going to be things that get in your way. If you can put that James text back up there, Nick, James 1, 19 through 23. It's capturing your thoughts is a practice of self-control. It is an initiative act. It is where the Lord gives you substance to replace it with. And so if anger is our will being blocked, then we have to have something else to replace it with. And as we pray that prayer that we did earlier in service, we asked for for forgiveness as, as we forgive others. Uh, We ask for his will to be done. His will to be done. See, the Garden of Gethsemane was a moment where where, where Jesus had what was called the kenosis of Christ, is where Jesus was uh, emptying him of himself before he had to go do something uh, on the cross. Now, kenosis, that's what that Greek word means. It means emptying. And so what Jesus did in that moment was he had to empty himself of the presence of the Father. He had to go to the cross and turn himself away from the closest relationship in his, he's ever had. He had to separate himself from the Father. And what the most beautiful truth is, is that when we come to church today, we have the opposite kenosis. We get to do, we get to empty ourselves of all moral filth. We get to empty ourselves of this garbage and this malice and rage that Cheryl spoke of. And we get to fill ourselves with the presence of the living God. Now, if you think this is over spiritualizing things, good luck. You're going to look in your scripture and you're going to see this time and time again that we serve a living God and his spirit is ready to empower you the moment that you are ready to turn away from things in your life that need to be removed. And so when we come to communion today, (coughs) we have a time for our own kenosis. And Nick's going to put up in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 29. And here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 29. It says, regarding communion, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. And so in response to the word of God, I'm going to take just a few moments. I want to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes and have our own version of a kenosis, an emptying of ourself. What are you hanging on to right now that you need to let go of? Is there this lower, low grade boil underneath you? You are mad and it's just not getting you anywhere. It's more of a distraction. It's more of an impulse. And it's actually keeping you from growing in the real relationships that you have in your life. I know I can ask this of you, and if you consider this, because I know this is a part of my life as well. There are things that I need to be empty of. So your time, I want to allow you to have as much of a time of emptying. As the Lord said, we are examine ourselves before we take of communion, because now this is a symbol of we are filling ourselves, we need the death of christ the blood that as he has died for our sins we need to receive the grace of god but we also take the bread as a symbol of life of power of healing of wholeness that god doesn't just ask us to empty ourselves he gives us his power to move forward with as well so when you're ready this morning i want encourage you take as long as you need and have your time of confession have your time of 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 empty you. And you know how our line works. Our line, you can be standing in line all day. So why not spend a little bit of time with the Lord this morning, just right there in your own pew, when you're ready when you feel as if you're ready to partake of God's power. You've laid some things down. You've captured the thoughts of anger, of comparison, of anxiety, of worry in this place. I want to invite you to come forward and receive communion, receive the life of God. If you would be in need of prayer, I'm going to be standing over here to the left. I would be more than happy to pray with you. If we could have some other deacons to come to be available on the other side as they exit, I would greatly appreciate that, and they'll bless you as they go as well. Uh, But whenever you are ready, as you're done with your time of kenosis, we want to invite you to come forward and partake of communion this morning. Join me as we conclude with a word of prayer. Lord, it's my prayer that everyone realizes here that we were not created to let our minds and our emotions run rampart, run Rashad on our spirit. We are created to be men and women of self-control. But beyond that, we are created to be men and women that yield to the spirit of the living God, that we partake of the blood and we partake of the bread daily and say, Lord, we invite your presence because we know our own selfish ambitions will always get in the way of that. So your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. May we be men and women of invitation, allowing you to transform us so we can see your power move for the glory of your kingdom. Lord, may we find ourselves coming back to your feet, taking captive our thoughts and making them obedient to the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would like for everyone to ponder the thing, the statement I'm about to make. Do you know what tithing means and how much is required from us? May we give accordingly. May the ushers please come forward. We pray. Dear Lord, bless the gifts that have been given here this morning, and please let them be used to further the kingdom for you and for you to be pleased with us. In your name we pray. Amen. And before your benediction, just want to remind you uh, there are still turkey supper things to be signed up for. If you're planning on stopping by Don's, please let him know before you leave. And also, uh, just one more thing if you are uh, planning on coming Thursday night to pass out candy, please let me know. I just want to give everybody that's coming a, a heads up for that as well. Your benediction may you be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. May you take captive your thoughts of anger and yield to the spirit of God as he empowers you with drive to bring about his will here on earth. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.